Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 12 through 21. And I want to mention one other quick announcement. As you came in this morning, you saw some uh, guys and girls back there taking signups for 24-7 prayer. We're going to have a week of 24-7 prayer that'll start on April 15th. So it's still a few weeks away, uh, but they are already taking signups for a slot. You basically sign up for an hour during the week where you'll come in and pray and uh, they'll have a room set up and it'll be guided and uh, there will be plenty to do. If you're thinking, man, an hour sounds like an eternity to pray, uh, it is not that long. Once you get in there, it'll go very fast. And so we'd love to have you all participate, pray for what God is doing on this campus around the world, uh, both through the Ministry of Grace as well as other ministries in this town and around the country. So uh, we'd love to have you participate in that. You can sign up for that on your way out if you like. All right, Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we praise you that we look forward to a day when Jesus will return and he'll subject everything to himself. We praise you because nothing is outside of your control, nothing is outside of your rule, nothing happens that surprises you, although it may surprise us. Father, we praise you because in Jesus Christ, we've been given the opportunity to reflect your love. And I pray that you would teach us, as we sang, to love others like you've loved us. And that feels like an impossible goal uh, many times, but we know that through the power of your spirit, we're capable of it. Father, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would allow our lives to have an eternal significance, a meaning and a purpose that lasts beyond this life so that uh, the things we invest our time and energy in aren't things that uh, go into the ground with us when we leave this earth. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the book of Philippians and how it is directing us and training us to focus our eyes on you. We pray that we would do that this morning as we study. Open up our minds that we might understand it. I pray that uh, any distractions or worries from the week would move behind us and that we would focus on your word and know what it has to say. I pray move in our hearts that we'd believe and have obedient attitudes toward you and then empower our hands and feet to do your service. We thank you, God, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, any of you guys in here ever play t-ball? I played t-ball when I was younger. Okay, 
I've shared this with some of you before, but I was not the best t-ball player on my team. I was a decent hitter. I was not bad at bat. I could usually make contact with the ball, which it isn't all that impressive because it's sitting on a pedestal, right? So uh, it's right there. You'll either hit the ball or you'll hit the pedestal and the ball will go somewhere. Uh, where I really struggled was in the field. I had a hard time catching the ball, fielding the ball, throwing the ball. Uh, really, I had a hard time mostly paying attention to the ball. And uh, my major activity while I was out in the field was uh, I'd get distracted by flowers or animals or birds or the guy standing next to me or things like that. So uh, they put me consistently in right field. And uh, if you've played baseball, you know that, uh, especially when you're young, they don't put the best player out in right field. Most of the batters are right-handed, so they tend to hit it out toward left field. So if you're out in right field, you're a lot less likely to see any action out there. So they put me out there. Uh, in fact, a couple of years ago, I played on a, an adult softball team, church team, and uh, they put me in right field again, and I, I don't. I hadn't even played. They just were like, "You're right field." I was like, "Okay, that's that's where I belong." So I would stand out there in right field, and I'd kind of not be paying attention. And this one particular day on the way to the game, my coach—I should give you some background. My coach for this t-ball team had some pretty strict rules about making sure you showed up with your uniform all in place. You were ready to play. You had all your equipment. If you didn't, he wouldn't let you play. So. On the way to this game, I'm in the car, and I'm talking to my dad, and I said, well, Dad, what would happen if I didn't have everything together? And he goes, well, the coach would probably bench you. Somebody else would have to take right field. You know, it'd be a bummer. And uh, I said, even like my hat, if I didn't show up with my hat? And he goes, yeah, if you're not wearing your hat, you can't play. So uh, fast forward to the game. I'm standing out in right field, looking around, not really paying attention. And all of a sudden, uh, I hear the crack of the bat. Ball happens to come out toward right field. One of those rare occurrences, it passes by the first baseman, uh, comes out to me, and uh, I look up, and there's the ball, and I'm about ready to get it, and it went right over my head. So I turned around and began to run for the ball, and as I was running for the ball, my hat fell off and uh, landed behind me. So the ball's over here, the hat is back here, and at this point in my eight-year-old mind, I had a huge dilemma, all right? Because uh, if I went for uh, the ball instead of the hat, I realize I'm out of the game, right? He's going to kick me out right now. On the other hand, if I went back for the hat instead of the ball, the coach uh, might be frustrated because I'd missed the play. So I stood there hesitating between those two options, and I could hear my dad uh, realizing what's going on, going, the ball, the ball, right? Now, I didn't want to be unduly influenced, so I kind of took my time and thought about it. And you know where this story's going. I turned around, I went back for the hat, Grabbed my hat, put it back on, then turned back around to go get the ball. But by the time I got back to the ball, the center fielder had already run over and grabbed it and thrown it in. So when they gave awards out to the team at the end of the year, mine said, you can probably guess what it said, keep your eye on the ball, right? Uh, I forgot the primary rule of t-ball or baseball, really any game involving a ball, right? You keep your eye on the ball. That's the most important lesson of the game. First thing they teach you, you watch that ball. Now, the reason I share that is because as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, you and I sometimes have a hard time doing the same thing, keeping our eye on the ball. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, the purpose and focus of your life ought to be this, to know him and then to help others to know him. And so the focus of your life is not 
to do good things so that God will approve of you. The focus of your life is not to find a mate. The focus of your life is not to get the best grades so you can have the best career, so you can have the best house and the best neighborhood possible, right? The focus of your life is to know Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus this morning, the great thing is God has given you his own righteousness through Jesus because Jesus died for you and rose again so that you can have eternal life. Apart from Jesus, we stand in sin, separated from God. Okay, and as Paul's been walking through the book of Philippians, he's been talking about how our right standing before God comes as a free gift through Jesus Christ to those who believe in him. And then the purpose of our life from that point on is not to earn that righteousness, but to live in light of it. And all of us will face temptations and distractions to draw us away from this purpose that we are called as human beings and believers in Jesus Christ to invest our lives in knowing him telling others about him, building into his kingdom, investing in God's word, investing in people who have the opportunity to invest in other people who will share the gospel all around the world. Now, as Paul writes this book, he's writing to a group of men and women at the church in Philippi who are tempted and distracted and they're thinking about drifting away from the gospel. They have all kinds of pressures. They've got external pressures from people who might be persecuting them for their faith. They've got internal pressures. They're scared. They're fearful. And so Paul is challenging them. No, you keep your eye focused on Jesus Christ. As we get into chapter three, we see that it seems like there were teachers coming from the outside. They were actually telling these believers, okay, Jesus is really good, but you also need to be circumcised and follow the law if you're really going to be righteous. And they're tempted to drift away from Jesus and go into this false teaching. There's other people saying, look, what you're really looking for is a good, comfy life. What you're really looking for is freedom from persecution. What you're really looking for isn't found in Jesus alone. Paul says you keep your eye on the ball. That each day, each moment, you're called to know him deeper and better until the day you face him. And even as a Christian, on the day we face Jesus Christ, our lives will be evaluated. Not to determine if you go to heaven or hell, that was decided when you believed in Jesus Christ, but instead, those who have followed the call of Jesus Christ, what Paul in this passage calls the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, those who have been faithful to that will hear, hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and there will be a prize awarded to them. The opportunity to reign alongside Jesus Christ, the opportunity to worship him, forever and ever, in a way we can't even imagine. So Paul says, that's what I focus on. You're already, no doubt, facing distractions that tempt you to just maybe not explicitly deny Jesus Christ, but perhaps to kind of downplay the importance of Jesus Christ in your life. Some of you came here to A&M believing that success for you would be defined by whether or not you had found a spouse by the time you left. Now it may be your last semester and uh, the clock is ticking and that may not happen for you. I wouldn't suggest trying to make that happen in the next month, right? It may happen for you, it may not. But it may be you came in and you thought that, that'll be success. And maybe you came in and you thought success is if I get a 4-0 and that lasted for about three weeks, your freshman year, right? (laughs) 
And maybe you said success as I graduate and I get into med school or law school. And maybe you said success as I make lots of friends and I have lots of fun. And as you began to walk through college, perhaps you've been convicted that really success for you is if I live a life invested in the things of Jesus Christ, regardless of whom I marry, regardless of what job I have, regardless of what neighborhood I live in, I can use those things that God has given me to invest in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And yet you're still tempted, maybe uh, partly by family, partly by your culture, partly by yourself and your own desire to have good things in your life and you're tempted to drift away. And for some of you, you may drift away to the point where years down the road, you may just say, you know, I'm chucking it. I'm gonna do my thing and not this Jesus stuff anymore. For some, it may just be you settle into a quiet, complacent, don't rock the boat type of life. And the the focus of this passage, Paul says, is no, Do not trade short-term comfort, short-term advantage. Don't trade that out for long-term joy, for a long-term reward that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So the question of this passage is, how how can you avoid doing that? How can you run in such a way as to receive the prize? All right, that's what we're gonna look at. First thing Paul says in verses 12 through 16 is run for the finish line. Look again at verses 12 through 16. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it. In other words, if you look back at verse 11, he says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. In other words, that I may in my life reflect the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that I die to sin and I rise again to what God has. And Paul says, I haven't already obtained it. In other words, I haven't already become perfect or mature, but... I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. All right, so Paul says, I run for the finish line. I press forward. I focus my eyes on the goal. And the goal is that I want to hear from Jesus, well done, and I want to receive a prize. We'll go into that in more detail in a minute. But he says, look, if you're running a race, you keep your eyes straight on the finish line. You don't look at what's over here. You don't look at what's over here. You focus on the goal. Now, I'm not much of a runner. Some of you guys may be. Uh, I'm really not. And I, I don't like running, right? But there are things I suppose you could do that would motivate me to run fast. All right. One might be you could have something scary chasing me, right? If you got like a grizzly and you said, if you don't run a five minute mile, this grizzly will eat you, right? I, I would run. I would do my best. Now, I don't know if I would actually make it, but I would run the fastest mile I have ever run in my life with that bear behind me. Okay, there's another way you could do it. You could say, uh, if you run a five-minute mile, I will give you $100,000. If anybody said that, I would try my best. I might not make it, but I would run fast. What Paul says is the best motivation for running is knowing that at the finish line, there is a reward. Uh, Years ago, my brother and I were driving up 
through the Northeast, through New England, and we just happened to drive across uh, a Greyhound racetrack. Now, we'd never seen Greyhounds race before. We didn't really want to place bets, but we wanted to see them race. So we just parked the car and we walked in and we sat down and uh, we were like, what, what is this thing going to be? And it was fascinating to us because they put all of these dogs uh, behind gates, much like they do horses. And then when they rang that buzzer or bell or whatever it was, they opened the gates and they had a little fake rabbit on, on a pole and it would go around a track and these dogs would just chase the rabbit around and around. Now, uh, they believed that if they just ran a little faster, they could get lunch, right? Now, the problem in their case is they were never going to catch it, right? It was always just right out there, but they would chase it. And even if they did catch it, it wasn't real, right? It was going to be a mouthful of plastic, but the dogs didn't know that. And you watch that and you thought, that's kind of mean, right? They just uh, run around and around chasing this fake rabbit and they'll do it all day long. They did it until the race was over. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, the difference is that we've been called to run a race where there's a real prize. And God has set in front of us the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul looks toward. And all throughout his letters, what's great is Paul says, I run for a prize that is real that I want to hear praise, I want to receive honor from Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, those who focus on the finish line and they say, Jesus is coming back and what I want more than anything in the world is to be rewarded by him. Paul says, all of them, God will reward this crown of righteousness. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it's made of, but I know that at that moment we meet Jesus Christ, hearing well done and receiving that reward is the most important thing that we're gonna care about in life because it's an eternal reward that will last. 2 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. All right, Paul is using the analogy of uh, like the Olympic games. And they would run a race and they would get a wreath. Today we give them medals, right? This summer we're going to have the Olympic Games. I love the Olympics. And these guys have been training, these runners, they've been training for four years in obscurity so that they can get a medal. I read an interview about a year ago with an Olympic runner and they said, how do you think, the interviewer said, how do you think somebody like, oh, I don't know, Kobe Bryant or a famous basketball player would do as a sprinter? or as a long-distance runner, and this, this runner said uh, he'd never make it. And the reason is this, because for four years I trained. There's no cameras, there's no lights, there's no crazy people around wanting to talk to him, me all the time. I trained in obscurity for one moment of glory for four years. It's a dedication most people don't have. And I'm always amazed by that. And what Paul says is that level of dedication is what you and I are called to as we pursue Jesus Christ to receive not a perishable medal or wreath, but a reward that will last forever. We don't do it so that we can earn eternal life. We do it because God has given it to us and we want to reflect the righteousness and the joy and the love of Jesus Christ with our lives to have an impact that will go well beyond anything you will do at the office. And so Paul says, you run 
toward the finish line. You let go of what lies behind and you strain forward to what lies ahead. For him, Paul's given us what lies behind for him in the first half of chapter 3. All of his self-righteous works. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader of the people of Israel. He was even a persecutor of the church. And he says, I set all that behind. And I don't know what it is that's behind you that may be keeping you from running well. But the call of the scripture is you, you, you set that behind. For some of you, it may be you've got a rough family background and there's all kinds of emotional and spiritual turmoil that you face. And it may be that you need to get help so that you can set those things behind and you focus your eyes now on Jesus Christ. And you say, the time is past for me to spend the rest of my life just trying to personally heal, although that's important before you can move forward. But you say, the time is here for me now to look at Jesus Christ and I'm gonna run the race. And maybe you need to set aside your own personal notions of who you are and how much you've done that that earns you some sort of reward before God. That was Paul's thing. Maybe you say, you know, in youth group, I was at the top of the ladder. Everybody looked up to me as the best youth group kid. I came from the right family. I lived in the right place. I've got the right major. I've got the right boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm headed to the right job. And you look at all those things and you say, look at my mountain of accumulated glory. Paul says, I let go of it all. I leave it behind and I focus on what's ahead, on knowing Jesus Christ, and I run for the finish line. And he issues a warning as we do that. The warning is this, that as we're running for the finish line, there are going to be distractions and enemies along the way. Look at verses 17 to 19. It says, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. In other words, he says, look, as you run for the finish line, there's going to be people who try to trip you up and distract you because their mind is not set on Jesus Christ. And there are people in this world that they will serve to distract you from knowing him. And you know what? They may not always look like enemies. That's what's Crazy, right? If you think about it, you watch any movie, a thief always looks like a thief, right? Wearing, you know, black outfit and maybe a ski mask. In the real world, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Thief may be the nice guy that strikes up a conversation with you at Mugwalls and then takes your iPhone and runs out the door, right? An enemy doesn't always look like an enemy. An enemy can come in the form of a friend. I had a friend when I was in college who was one of these guys that he could get an A on a test without studying. Now, I, was in, I know, people that we hate, right? The kinds of people that cause us struggles. And, and uh, So this guy, I was an engineering major, and uh, it was hard stuff. This guy, we'd be sitting in class, and uh, we would all be taking notes. Back then, we used uh, pens and paper and things like that. We didn't have laptops, and we would be taking notes. But he never had a notebook in front of him. He never had a pen. He would just sit there and just watch the board. Like this, right? And it was always a little nerve-wracking because you're like, dude, shouldn't you be writing something down? And it's like, no. And he would just watch. And then uh, he rarely did his homework. The homework was worth, I don't know, 15 or 20% of the grade. And so he didn't care about A's. He just uh, wanted to get by, even though he was a genius. And so he rarely did his homework. What he would do is just show up and take the test and get like 100 and then turn it in. And so he consistently uh, would pass these classes. And he was a nice guy and a good guy to have around, except when it came time to study. And the reason is because he would come over to our groups, he didn't uh, need to study. 
So what he would do was take it on himself to distract the rest of us. He would come over, he would suggest we go play Frisbee, he would bring food, he would show us stuff that was going on outside, what a wonderful day, don't you want to come? And uh, he was so fun, and he would hang around, and uh, we loved him until we got there the next day for the test and realized how much time he'd killed. Now you guys have a friend similar to that today, Uh, he's called Facebook, right? (laughs) You start to study, and you go, yeah, I need to check in with the kinds of things that uh, people are doing that don't really matter. And so you'll get onto Facebook and you'll be like, look, my friend Bill, he got a toe ring. That's awesome, right? I love it. Sarah went to Wings and More. I need to go. Ditch the books. You're off, right? And it looks like a friend because it seems so friendly and yet it draws you in and it distracts you from your purpose, uh, which is to get work done and study. I know. And the reality is that Uh, An enemy can look like a friend. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. There were people coming into this church and they were saying, look, uh, we want you to have the best life possible. We don't want you to be persecuted. We don't want you to go through pain. We don't want you to have to uh, strive real hard to know Jesus. And that just seems uh, so kind of hard to understand that God would give you his righteousness. So we're going to offer you some alternatives. One of them is, look, uh, you can follow the law. It's real clean, cut and dry. Uh, Guys, you get circumcised and then uh, you follow the law. You, you keep these certain regulations. You eat the right things. You do the right things at the right time. And you can know, yeah, Jesus is good, but God will forgive me and God will give me uh, his favor based on what I do. That was one option. The other option that Paul gets into, I think, more here is this, that there were people that saying, look, Jesus is good, but you don't want to miss out on stuff. So he says, look, their God is their appetite. Their glory is in their shame. They actually glory in those things that are shameful. Those things that dishonor God, whether that's sexual immorality or using their bodies uh, poorly with the way that they eat. And these people come along and they say, look, we're your friend. Paul says, no, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Because what they're doing is they're taking your eyes that ought to be focused on Christ and they're going, look over here. There's something better. And so you start running this way. Paul says, watch out for enemies. And you and I will face enemies as you try to pursue Jesus Christ. And the hard thing is they, they might be well-meaning. Might be friends that say, look, uh, you don't want to rock the boat with the whole Jesus thing in your social circle or at work. Just lay low. Look, you want to have nice house, nice cars, all that kind of stuff. Why would you give some of your money to, to further the gospel around the world. Why would you do that? You want to have a fun summer, right? You want to have a great spring break, Christmas, whatever. Why would you take a week or six weeks or two weeks of your time and actually go somewhere where you're serving and sharing the gospel? For some of you, it may be that you sense God calling you even to go overseas after you graduate and share the gospel. And you may have people that say, look, why would you do that? You got a great degree. You can make a lot of money. You say, I think God is directing me somewhere else. Paul says, watch out for those who subtly might be enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, there may be those that they're well-meaning, they're wanting to provide you wisdom, and we ought to listen, okay, and not immediately go, you're, you're an enemy, you're a fool. But it may be, it may be at times that we need to say, you know, I've been called first and foremost to follow Jesus Christ even if that goes against the grain of what my culture sees as acceptable or okay. Paul says, I tell you now, even weeping, that there are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. 
because they're pursuing a path other than knowing him. And so you watch out for those enemies and you focus your eyes on the finish line. And then you remember your true allegiance as you do that. Verses 20 to 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Remember your true allegiance. And the the imagery he uses, he says, our citizenship, or literally in the Greek, our commonwealth, our state, our home, our country is heaven, not here. Now, if you remember the background of the book of Philippians, uh, Philippi was one of the few Roman colonies uh, where they actually were able to be citizens. They had full rights as Roman citizens. They could own property. They weren't taxed. Right, they had all of these rights as Roman citizens that uh, your average outpost colony didn't have, and they were proud of that. And so Paul takes that pride and he reminds them, no, your true citizenship, your true commonwealth, it's in heaven. And what we do right now is we're waiting, and Jesus is going to come from heaven, and he's going to bring heaven here. And for those who know Jesus Christ, he's going to transform this current body you have into a body that's much greater, in conformity with his glory, because he's in charge. He can subject everything to himself. And so while we run for the finish line and while we watch out for enemies, we also remember that our allegiance isn't here and now. It belongs with Jesus Christ in heaven because he has bought us with a price. We don't belong to ourselves. So even as we live here, even as we serve others here, even as we're a part of this world, we don't really belong to it. Anybody ever seen that really old TV show called Mork and Mindy with uh, Robin Williams? Some of you have, some of you haven't. First show that Robin Williams ever did, he played this guy Mork, and uh, he, he was roommates uh, with this Mindy, and uh, he came down to Earth from another planet called Ork. So his name was Mork from Ork. And uh, the thing about this show that made it funny was, first of all, it just was a funny comedian in the lead role, but also the deal is that he was a fish out of water. He aged backwards, for example, on Orc. They were born really old, and they aged backwards, and by the time they died, they were a baby, right? Uh, They would drink, not with their mouth, but with their finger, right? So he'd put his finger into a cup of water, and the water would go down, you know, and that's how he would drink. But at the end of every episode, Mork would uh, talk to his leaders back on Orc. He had been sent here to observe what life was like on Earth. And he would always communicate back, and he always was called to remember his true allegiance wasn't here, right? It was there. He belonged there. Hey, that's the image that I think Paul paints, is we live here, but our allegiance isn't, isn't really here. It's there. I read a story that I'd read before, but I ran across it again this past week about a man named Aldrich Ames. Some of you may have heard of him, but Aldrich Ames was a CIA operative who uh, advanced to the highest levels of information understanding uh, within the CIA during the Cold War. Uh, But what people didn't know about Alder James was that while he was a high-level operative with the CIA, he was also passing information to Russia about our assets in Russia. And over a period of 10 years, he passed so much information secretly over to Russia. They paid him millions of dollars for the information that he passed. And uh, several American assets in Russia were executed or arrested because of this guy. He was born in America. 
lived in America, belonged to the CIA, passed all of their background checks, and yet he forgot his true allegiance. And actually, it wasn't that he believed his true allegiance was to Russia. You know where his true allegiance was? It was in cash. He wanted money. And so he became rich, selling American information to the enemy. What Paul warns us against here is is this. He says, don't ever forget your true allegiance. It's tempting to think, you know, my, my allegiance really is to myself, especially in our culture. You hear that all the time, right? The first person that I need to make happy is me. You hear it all the time. I think it's one of the biggest lies that our world tells us. Because your allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Your allegiance is to heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And for those who know him, we trust that he's going to bring heaven here. Subject everything to himself. Transform our bodies into conformity with the body of his glory. And we will one day stand before him and be evaluated. The question is, how will that evaluation turn out? Will we invest our lives in knowing Jesus Christ, in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, to be conformed to his death and attained to the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul says I'm going to run for. That's the finish line. Jamie and Sarah are going to come up and close us in a song. And as they close, here's what I want to challenge us to do. Because I'll confess to you guys that it's hard for me on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis to remember that my allegiance is to Jesus Christ and that the purpose of my life is to know him. I I have distractions like you guys do all over the place. And I'm tempted just like you are to think my primary purpose is just to make myself comfortable, happy, free from pain. Or my purpose is to make myself known so other people will applaud or my purpose is whatever. Here's what I want you to do as they are singing and as we are singing, just process and think, uh, what is it that tempts me toward distraction? Is it finding a spouse Is it finding the right career? Is it fun and pleasure? What is it? And then what is one step that I can take this week to know Jesus Christ? Maybe you need to commit that I'm going to spend some time in the word of God. I'm going to read through the book of John so that I understand who Jesus is and I know him. Maybe it is that you're going to say, I'm going to spend a little bit of time in prayer each day and ask his spirit to fill me and focus me on his priorities. Maybe it is you just need to take the next step toward knowing him this week. What is it? that stands in your way, and what is it that you're going to do practically, commit to God, that you will do to know Jesus Christ? Father, we do pray that your son Jesus Christ would be the focus of our eyes and of our attitudes. Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes on the finish line, that we would leave behind those things that we ought to leave behind, whether it is sin, whether it is pride, whether it is some incident that has happened to us, I pray we would just leave those things behind, focus on knowing Jesus Christ through your word, through the power of your spirit, through the community of believers, that we would invest our lives not in building our name up to be great, not in making our own righteousness something that we rely upon, but instead knowing you and your righteousness and the righteousness that comes through Jesus. I pray for each of us in here that that would be everything that we desire to do. Wherever you put us, whatever jobs you have us in, uh, whatever families we come from, Father, I pray that would be our goal. Protect us from distractions and sin, and let us do your will. We thank you, God, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Have a wonderful week.